Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinsing, episode 482. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. Our first sponsor thanks goes to the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Visit them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. I'm really excited for this week's episode and happy to introduce you to my two guests, Shannon Algier, co-founder of the farm at Stone Barns Center for Food and Agriculture, and currently the farm liaison manager there, and Jessica Galen, Stone Barns Communications Manager. I've invited them to give us a snapshot of the history and work of Stone Barns Center, and then we'll preview the upcoming Young Farmers and Cooks Conference, a three-day all-virtual event produced and hosted by Stone Barns Center for Food and Agriculture and the Blue Hill Restaurant at Stone Barns. The conference takes place December 8th through 10th online, and it's coming right up, and you'll want to take advantage of the extremely affordable pricing to register, and I'll share that information in our show notes. This is an important conference about sustainable farming and food systems, and yes, the subject of floral and fiber agriculture has a role. On Thursday, December 10th at 8.30 a.m. Pacific, 11.30 a.m. Eastern, I'll be moderating a panel called The Regional Flower Economy, Flower Farming as a Viable and Profitable Facet of Agriculture, featuring a fantastic lineup of Slow Flowers members. They include Asha Lurie, Patagonia Flower Farm, Julio Fritas, The Flower Hat, and both of them are past guests to this podcast, and then Taj Cotton and VC Victoria, Edwards Cotton, the the husband-wife team at Periwinkle Farm, and Julius Tillery, owner of Black Cotton U.S. Whether you're a farmer, cook, butcher, miller, preservationist, processor, or anyone else in the food and floral chain, this conference is for you. Here's a bit more about Jessica and Shannon. Jessica Galen is the communications director at Stone Barn Center. In this role, she manages relationships with the media and partner organizations and provides editorial support for programming for young farmers and other, other key audiences. She launched her career in branding and communications at a nonprofit consulting firm and an education reform organization. While in graduate school at NYU for an MA in food studies, Jessica worked in the cheese caves at Murray's Cheese, as well as for an organic produce farm and a raw farmstead cheesemaker. She served as the general manager at Lucy's Way, then the Upper East Side's largest artisanal cheese shop in New York, and as a wholesale director at New York Shook a small batch producer of Israeli and North African pantry items. 
Jessica published an article in the Graduate Journal of Food Studies based on her master's thesis entitled Cheesemongers Over Fearmongers Toward Data-Driven Cheese Recommendations for Pregnant Women. And she was a contributor to the James Beard award-winning Oxford Companion to Cheese. She is on the advisory board of Equity Advocates, which provides policy education, advocacy training, and coalition building services to improve healthy food access in urban communities. In addition to her master's degree, she has a BA from Harvard University in Yiddish and Latin America studies. Our other guest, Shannon Algier, is a co-founder of The Farm at Stone Barns Center for Food and Agriculture. She brings over 20 years of experience in holistic farm design, crops production, garden and greenhouse management, and farm-based education. Alongside her husband, Jack Algier, Shannon has served many roles at Stone Barn Center in its development. Most recently, as farm liaison manager, Shannon partnered with the center's farm and program staff to oversee farmer training, internships, and volunteer programming. She attended University of Rhode Island, and she was an outdoor educator at the Denison Petquasipas Nature Center, greenhouse manager at Meadowbrook Biodynamic Herb Farm and Whitegate Farm. And she was a volunteer for the Costa Rican National Park Service. In 2017, Shannon started a floral design and horticulture services business called Potter and Prune, promoting sustainable models in the floral design industry by celebrating the elegance and ecology of connecting regional grower economies with event design. She has taught workshops on growing and marketing cut flowers at NOFA, SBC's Young Farmers Conference, and Oregon State University's Small Farms Conference. She has also written articles and been interviewed for her work at the intersection of farming and health and wellness. Along with her husband, Jack, Shannon is raising two boys and serves on the board of Hearth Fire and Heirs Foundation. Let's jump right in and hear lots more. You can find photos, links, and more resources about the Young Farmers and Cooks Conference in today's show notes for episode 482 at deborahprinzing.com. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. I'm so excited today to introduce two guests from the Stone Barns Center for Food and Agriculture. We first have Jessica Galen, Communications Director. Hi, Jessica. Hi, thank you for having us. You bet. And uh, a name that many of you may know from social media, Shannon Algier. And Shannon is uh, has, wears many hats, but she's the co-founder of The Farm as Stone Barns. She also is a, the farm liaison. So uh, we are really excited to be talking about the 2020 Young Farmers and Cooks Conference, which is coming right up December 8th through 10th. And I'm really excited that Slow Flowers is going to get involved. Um, this is an unusual year, obviously. We're, we're hearing about lots of conferences turning virtual. And uh, the Young Farmers and Cooks Conference is, is obviously taking uh, proactive steps to keep everyone safe. So in light of the pandemic, uh, this is a virtual conference. And uh, we're going to talk about wh- what's all the facets of it, how you can get involved, and um, how flowers are going to play a part this year, um, thanks to an invitation to Slow Flowers to get involved. Um, I will just say that all the registration information will be in our show notes at deborahprinzing.com. And um, let's just talk about what's happening at Stone Barns. Uh, first of all, I'll start with Jessica. Can you kind of jump in and give us the history of Stone Barns and all the work that you're doing in, in advocacy and education around sustainable food agriculture? 
Sure. And uh, we'll definitely look to Shannon as well, um, who's really been here from the start um, and, and knows those early days of our formation um, firsthand. Um, but our organization is 16 years old. We were founded in 2004 as a nonprofit. Um, and we are really so privileged to be situated on an absolutely stunning uh, landscape just north of New York City at the sort of opening to the Hudson Valley. So we're at this really interesting geographic location where we have access both to the rich agricultural history and setting of the Hudson Valley and everything that New York City has to offer. We're just about half an hour north of the city. So it's a really special um, location that offers a lot of opportunities for engagement. And we were really founded with the mission to reconnect people to the sources of their food. If you think back to the early 2000s, um, we, a lot of folks were not necessarily thinking that deeply about where food came from, you know, grocery stores were already, um, widely made food from around the world, widely available at any time of year. So we were established as a nonprofit organization in 2004 and were based in a nearly century old set of stone barn buildings that were originally constructed as a dairy for the Rockefeller family. We were founded in honor of the memory of Peggy Rockefeller, who was a leading conservationist and supporter of American farming. And we have the opportunity to continue this legacy of supporting ecological agriculture and food by being a place where folks can connect to food and farming. So for the past nearly two decades, we've been sort of building on that mission and really working at the intersection of farmers and the whole rest of the food system. So we're very... Um, we have this incredible restaurant partner, Blue Hill at Stone Barns, that's located on the property as well. And um, the collaborations between farmers and chefs that have been taking place there for those two decades, I think, um, have really pushed a lot of conversations about how important it is for the eating public, for the folks who are interpreting what's coming off of the land and the folks who are stewarding the land to all be in relationship with one another. And that is really very much where we still find ourselves. And um, I think this year's Young Farmers and Cooks Conference will be an incredible manifestation of that uh, work over the past two decades, even as we do uh, try to do it uh, in a very different way than we've done it in the past. Um, but it, we're really just asking a lot of those same questions that we've been asking, continuing to work to uh, on, build on all of that innovation and experimentation and um, mm building up the next generation. Mm. So that's, that's where we've come and that's where we're come from and that's where we're going. Well, that's really exciting. And I've heard of Stone Barn for many years and probably because of the original um, work that Shannon uh, was involved with, because Shannon, you're kind of there at day one, right? Yeah, day one, my husband was hired to come and develop the farm. And with that came a farming couple. So we um, <laughs> landed on this beautiful property and um, just really leaned into holistic development of the systems and discovering what the partnership meant with the on-site restaurant. And mm. yeah, incredible. So when the Stone Barns uh, Center uh, kind of, when you were brought in to build the farm, the restaurant, the Blue Hill restaurant was also opening at the same time. And there was sort of this collaboration. Is that correct? Or I just don't want to misportray that the restaurant's a standalone business, right? 
It is. Yeah. Okay. We, um, we all landed there to, you know, start to develop the content along with the actual systems in place. Um, so it was really, you know, we sort of inherited this incredible piece of property t- as young farmers to, um, you know, develop and it included field space and greenhouse space and woodlands and pastures. Um, and, you know, Jack Algier, my husband, had this vision um, and gathered a great team of people together in order to start implement it, implementing that. Um, and so we all wore lots of hats and it was really interesting to suddenly be in this place that was the hub of an on-site chef um, and his restaurant team and a farmer and how we could lean into that relationship mm-hmm. and and develop that sort of that conversation and that give and take to discover what was possible. Um, I think you know, it was in the first month that they decided to throw any menus away because in order for a relationship to truly work and to innovate, um, we needed to just be completely open and um, take risks together. Wow. What a model that, you know, is obviously others have tried to emulate, but um, it's not a standard in in the restaurant industry or in the culinary world now. It's still kind of... um, that in, that kind of inter- interdependency is what you're trying to model and teach and advocate for. Um, I would imagine that's sort of the theme of people people's interest in coming to visit stone barns um, and just learn about agriculture, but then also see what what is on the menu that day. And it's it's truly of the moment, I guess. I've, I'm dying to visit it, so I, I don't know what's happening in that regard, but. Um, it seems like that's evolved to influence so many people who come and study at Stone Barns. It has. Um, over time, we've sort of taken that relationship. And then, as you say, there's such an interdependency. And that's what is represented in our food system. There are so many people involved in all these different facets, both of land stewardship and development, ecological um, advocacy, culinary, hospitality, and also true to this particular audience in my work is the floral industry and the florists. And so, um, yeah, really taking time to develop not only the systems of holistic land management and how that evolves over time, um, but also all of the content that that can, Mm -hmm. you know, that we can outreach to. And so something like the conference is is clearly part of that content, but you have other channels of like internships and um, smaller educational programs that maybe aren't as ambitious as the annual conference, right? Yeah, over time, you know, as Jess mentioned, being sort of like two decades into this organization, it's been beautiful to see the arc of that kind of audience and outreach and educational content over time. Mm. So um, in the early days, we were working with school kids and summer camps and an amazing membership base. Um, And then gradually, as our content began to deepen, we leaned a little bit more into training programs, both culinary training and farmer training. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, just so many different audiences and 
Yeah. And it's, it's like you're, you're, uh, I'm thinking about the conversation the three of us had, uh, last week to kind of brainstorm for what we wanted to talk about. And I jotted down this statement that Jessica made, or maybe both of you said it in different ways, but that the mission of Stone Barns is, or one of the missions is really to focus on how humans interface responsibly and sustainably with the natural world, world as consumers. And I, I had jotted down what we wear, build, eat, and consume. And obviously, it's more than just food. And I, I think that that's what I'm celebrating and seeing you acknowledge agriculture of the growing of flowers as a valid part of that. Um, yeah, the, the development of the flower program at the farm really, you know, came out of, you know, why do we need flowers on the farm? We want them there for pollinator attraction and diversity of a farmscape aesthetic beauty and all of these different market streams um, and potential for entrepreneurial potential for the farm as well as being a public facing place having more content and so um, yeah just leaning into the flower growing is uh, a really important thing for us to be able to explore in an ecological food culture. So how did that get started in the first place Shannon was it um, like a a few pollinator plants that were, you know, there for the, for the insects to feast on and, and help, you know, get the, you know, propagate the food or like, how did, how did flowers become part of the conversation early on? Yeah, at first it was, um, you know, they were present on the farm as part of the diversity companion planting and Mm -hmm. pollinator attraction. Mm -hmm. But over time also, we have these incredible horticultural ornamental spaces because, um, you know, just to complement these beautiful stone buildings and the visitor experience. Um, So we kind of had like these pockets of developing um, spaces and also what we used to call the orphanage. We would just have places to stick plants and anybody who's like developing a farm knows that first five years is just doing what you can everywhere. But after about five years time, there's this refinement and the sculpting that, um, you know, you can really start to access and lean into. Um, So we've just, you know, developed indoor greenhouse spaces that are both heated and unheated, focused on season extension. Um, We, you know, I think that I've been told that I was just trying to conquer all of the land bases with flowers because <laughs> the more that you're growing these beautiful plants you just want to keep going and keep right. expanding right and we've had the the beauty in a diverse farmscape to lean into um the livestock areas and the vegetable farming resources so you know, all together, we're working on partnerships with the universities to do seed breeding and trials and evaluations, um, working with some of our our conservation land to look at pasture grasses and through our ecological monitoring, continue to explore what's possible to use um, in floral material. Mm. Um, the more that we can bring grasses and an appreciation for grasses into the floral industry, I think that's going to serve that bigger ecological context. Mm. Mm. I love that. Um, when did you decide, or when did it occur to you, Shannon, that you are a floral designer and that you, you know, this is an art form as well as an, uh, you know, an act of sustainable agriculture? 
Oh, that's a great question. Thank you. I think, um, yeah, they just sort of that love of working with the materials when you're fully immersed in it as a grower. Um, it's just truly speaking to you. There's such an exchange that's mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. and there's the artisanship, um, that just begins to develop naturally. And I think it's been, it was very influential to be working with Blue Hill chefs um, and see the kind of artistry that they brought to vegetables and the plates um, and the hospitality space. And through that kind of work with the floral material and influence into more of a design scape. And Mm -hmm. I know that it was really rewarding to spend a full spring in the soil and then have the opportunity to just take this abundant harvest and um, really tune into an artistry and expression um, that could be shared with the Mm. community. Mm. I love that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the conference and then Shannon, I'm going to circle back and ask you a little bit more about the flowers. Um, But since Jessica's here and she's working so closely with the, well, both of you are working closely with this conference. Um, uh, I'm going to jump over to you, Jessica. So in the past, this was called the Young Farmers Conference. Is that correct? That's right. Yep. And then what for 2020 is the first time you've added the cooks component to describe what, why, and, and what that entails. Is that going to broaden the topic of the conference? Sure. Yeah. I mean, 2020 has shaken up so much of, um, everything that we, and, you know, as with everyone else, uh, everything that we had sort of been planning for and working toward and, it's also opened up a lot of really interesting opportunities and it's been um, a really amazing year for, for kind of experimenting with different formats of communicating with folks um, and how exactly we're empowering the next generation of food system change makers. Um, mm. The Young Farmers and Cooks Conference is one example of that. So for 12 years, we hosted the Young Farmers Conference and I think um, when it, when we started it 12 years ago, it was this really, um, because it was really for farmers just starting out who may not have come from farming families, may not have gone to agriculture school, may not be looking, um, into getting into farming in ways that where there's a sort of set, um, path for how to acquire land, how to acquire education, you know, the, the folks who are, coming through, um, who have been coming through the Young Farmers Conference are trying to do a kind of farming that they're doing despite the entire infrastructure of farming in this nation, not, you know, not, they're sort of going against the grain in a lot of ways. Absolutely. They're having to reinvent uh, systems that have been tossed aside, but that are more sustainable. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's a longstanding legacy, um, of these kinds of farming practices all over the globe. And it just has not been the case um, in the United States in the last, most of the last century. Mm -hmm. Um, The dominant form of farming has not been um, what these folks are looking to get into. So we sort of um, stepped into the space to bring together some of the um, most exciting thinkers and practitioners of diversified um, organic, sustainable, ecological agriculture and welcomed, we could have up to about 250 farmers um, join us for the conference, and it was quickly oversubscribed, and we had to have a lottery every year, and we decided to keep it at that number because of how many people we could fit in our largest room on campus, and we felt like that intimacy was really critical. 
Um, but of course, as we started planning for this year, and it, um, we knew that we would have to at least plan for a partial virtual experience. And then over the course of the year, it became clear that it would have to be fully virtual. Um, we thought, you know, what other possibilities does that open up for us? Um, and we had already been moving um, into uh, bringing more conversations into that conference that were really about the intersection and the relationship among farmers with everyone else in the food chain. So not just about um, sort of the technical aspect of how do you create a crop rotation plan, but how do you create a crop rotation plan that you're educating your chef partners about um, and you're engaging preservation partners along the way to help you um, get some value from, from the ro rotation that may not be realized through direct relationships with chefs, for example. Um, so we'd already been moving into more of this sort of all of the sort of connective tissue in between mm -hmm. the farmers, the chefs, the preservationists, the processors, the butchers, bakers. Um, and this year just decided to fully embrace that calling and step right into it by calling it the Young Farmers and Cooks Conference. And, and we use the term cook as broadly as possible. And I think um, you'll see that reflected in the program and also in how much um, sort of agricultural arts are included in mm. the, <clears throat> the program um, mm -hmm. through the, the panel that you've curated for us and, and others, um, you know, thinking about the entire realm of how uh, communities interface with the products coming off of the land and how we, how we, um, how we are in relationship with land, um, we hope is really being expressed across the conference. Mm. So an exciting broadening out and because it's virtual now we have the opportunity to welcome many more people um, we've had the registration open for a few weeks and um, we're we already have um, folks signed up from I, I'm not sure how many countries we're still missing but it's it's in the sort of handful range um, and we've crossed a thousand participants already. Oh, so, oh my goodness. Um, and I know it'll just keep growing from there. So it's a really, it's really going to change the dynamic of the kinds of conversations that can take place. And that's really quite thrilling. And also just providing this information to so many people because of technology and also the pricing, uh, you've, you've priced it incredibly on like on a sliding scale, incredibly affordably. What, what was behind that decision? Well, we've always tried to make the conference as um, available as possible, and we've been getting better and better at that through um, improvements in live stream technology and being able to post a lot of the sessions online. Um, but, I mean, front and center in our, in our planning this year um, is um, that we've established a commitment to developing the conference in an anti-racist frame, and we have a sort of number of commitments within that um, framework and sort of acknowledging and serving the many diverse communities that will be engaging with this content from all over the world is really essential to us. So we have worked to make it as accessible as possible to absolutely anyone plugging in from anywhere in the wow. world. Wow. And I'll, I'll share all those details for registration. Um, thanks, Jessica. That's really helpful. And um, it's going to be December 8th, 9th, and 10th. And um, I think that the 
some of the programming has already been posted in terms of the schedule, correct? So we'll have that. Yeah, yes, the entire agenda is actually live. Yeah, yeah. I saw, I, I saw what day our panel was. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the flower panel. Uh, Shannon, you and I met five or six years ago. I think it was at the Chapel Designers Conference in New York where uh, Holly invited you to come speak about what you were doing uh, at Stone Barns. And I was just fascinated by your story. And um, just I know that you personally are committed to um, floral agriculture. And I love the term that Jessica just said, floral arts, because it made me wonder how you got involved with this initiative at Stone Barns called the Arts and Ecology Lab and how that kind of reflects the work that you're doing in flowers. And then we'll 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 use that as a, a tee up for talking about the panel that that Slow Flowers is going to be involved in. Yeah, that's it's a really exciting moment in a chapter of Stone Barns and Blue Hill partnership. And essentially, when we talk about this agri, uh, arts and ecology lab or the agricultural arts, what we're doing is kind of gathering all of the material that we have been um, building and partnering on and activating on the campus over time into this consolidated space, this hub. Um, and that is sort of the, the gathering and the archiving of our work with all of this, um, the materials that are coming off of the land and essentially um, focusing on sort of the non-edible through this lab. Sure. Um, whether that is the, the flowers, whether that's the grasses, as we've mentioned, um, the hides um, that are coming from the animals. The um, There's this beautiful artist that we're working with that makes bone china from the bones from these grass-fed animals. Wow. So it's this beautiful... Um, Sort of consolidation of all of that work, and I'm partnering with um, this man Philippe, who I've been working with from the inception. He was also part of the the co-founding team from the restaurant side, Philippe Guz, and he's just an incredible. He's the director of operations of the restaurant, um, but also just this incredible gardener and horticulturalist and florist, and he's been doing. Um, events at the restaurant and beautiful installations. And this lab is sort of a partnership between the two of us so that we can really elevate this work to the next level and, and get the story told. Um, and I think one of our biggest goals for this lab in particular is how to make all of the events. Um, there's a lot of weddings and events coming through using the restaurant venue and resource and we would just have this goal of of making it fully circular how can we continue to inf uh, not only take on some of those events ourselves through the lab but also have a place to be able to work with the oncoming florists to talk about these issues or offer percentages of mm. product from the property um, and really just encourage some movement mm. in the industry from from the perspective that we can offer in this lens. Right. Because it sounds like in, in the past, if someone is just wants to view uh, Blue Hill as a venue for an event, they're not necessarily drawing from all these important resources that are part of the value of Stone Barns in terms of uh, access to flowers for decoration or that sort of thing. Is that kind of what you're talking about? 
It's true. Yeah, some brides will will have that front and center in their designs, um, but not everyone. So mm-hmm. how can we kind of welcome them into that space um, and have really creative, beautiful ways to help them, you and, know, design yeah. from that space and and think about that. And we also, you know, there's this wonderful. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of the garbage goddess yes. who's working out of New York City. Yes, yeah. I mentioned Just, her in a story, I think, from with Emily Thompson uses her. Oh, great. Yeah. That's exactly it. Just, um, you know, we've been looking at our waste cycles on the farm and in our partnership with the restaurant for years and, and continue to develop um, ways of, you know, stopping that or, or in, incorporating those waste materials into next stages and so um, we're really excited about what she's doing and and see that that's an amazing service to encourage um, responsibly Mm. well it's I'm kind of jealous that I can't come to this conference in you know physically at Stone Stone Barn Center I'm sure in the future that will happen kind of Jessica alluded to that you know this is not a year for that Uh, but because of that, I think it allowed you to include topics and panelists who maybe hadn't been, uh, you know, part of the past conferences. And yeah, you want to talk oh, about that? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah I'd love to. Um, that's what we're sort of so excited about the Arts and Ecology Lab team. Um, think, you know, working with the conference to outreach to a couple. Deborah, we're so thrilled that you're going to be involved with us. And the arts and ecology team also curated this um, uh, workshop focusing on culinary flowers and how um, both the pastry, the savory and the uh, beverage department is working with culinary flowers um, Mm. through Blue Hill. A Mm. lot of creative, beautiful things coming out of there. We also reached out to Amy Default and Kathy Hattori, um, and we're super excited. They'll be off, they curated this amazing botanical dyes uh, workshop, and then also this um, really great panel: bone pigment, paper, and process. And that's some partners that we've been working with in the agricultural arts lab that. Um, with a bone china and then working with earth pigments and then this uh, woman who we've been working with on the land to encourage using things like Japanese knotweed and corn husks and some of the garlic skins to make paper. Oh my gosh. There are a couple examples of, of the arts and ecology space at the conference. Oh my gosh. I know I saw those on the, on the program and I'm so delighted that if someone who's listening to this, podcast who's interested in, um, you know, non-edible agriculture, there's a many options for them to, to hear from people who are doing great work. I'm going to talk a little bit about the panel that, so Shannon just reached out and asked me if um, I would help talk, you know, create a panel. Uh, and I'm so honored that you thought of, uh, you know, including us. And so we ended up calling it the regional flower economy, flower farming as a viable and profitable facet of agriculture. And I'm, I'm so thrilled. I'm basically just the, <laughs> I'm just the hostess. <laughs> We're going to have four amazing panelists. And I, can I mention who they are? Because it's, I don't know if it's been published yet, but we're excited that four Slow Flowers members are going to be on the panel. Uh, Julio Fritas of the, the Flower Hat in Bozeman, Montana, and Asha Lurie from Patagonia Flower Farm in Arizona, and Julius Tillery, who owns Black Cotton USA. He's in North Carolina, so that's more of a, a fiber 
and flower kind of theme. And then Taj Cotton and VC Victoria Cotton of um, Periwinkle Farm there in North Carolina. And so we're going to have really a lot to say in a short period of time. <laughs> but there's this other thing that you're doing with panelists, and that's to set up these deep dives. And I don't know, maybe, Jessica, you can talk about what what is that like bonus programming that you're going like another layer deeper to use, you know, to be redundant <laughs> uh, with with sort of the conference topics. Yeah, I mean, it can feel really isolating to engage with this content fully virtually, as I'm sure we've all experienced by this point. Um, so we, we have this idea, we've always offered, um, round tables of one form or another with some of the veteran farmers and agriculturalists who have presented at the Young Farmers Conference. And those have been really incredible ways for the beginning farmers in our network to connect with, um, potential mentors and other just folks who have been in the space for a long time. And, you know, these are legends, um, in our realm. And um, we thought, you know, we could really build on that notion by creating more intimate spaces um, virtually as well, where people from all over the world will have the opportunity to connect in a smaller room, room, so to speak, um, with um, some of you amazing presenters and get some of their questions asked directly in a more conversational fashion that may um, not be possible within mm-hmm. the context of the panel itself. So um, we're really um, grateful to everyone who's signed on to do some of those conversations as well. I think most of the uh, folks that are on the, the floral panel have agreed to do that too. I, I don't know if it's probably not been announced yet, but that's part, that's kind of a, an additional level of programming that attendees can plug into, right? Absolutely. Yep. And that, that will all be um, evident within the conference app, which is, um, quite robust and pretty user-friendly once you get into it. So, Oh, that's awesome. Um, Shannon, are you presenting at all or are you um, uh, too busy <laughs> to present? I'm taking um, a back seat this year. And I, I think that's the beauty of the conference this year um, with the curator model is, um, you know, really having people like yourself step forward with this incredible network. Um, so I'll be in backstage this year and definitely attending your workshop. I'm you've so been excited. You've been facilitating a lot of this to get, get us to this point. And I'm so glad you touched on those other topics. I, I know so many people who would just come, maybe cherry pick the, the topics that relate to their own farm or floral business and still get so much out of the attendance. But the larger global sense of community just blows my mind. It's just exciting. Um, we will have all the registration details. Um, the conference, this is airing on December 2nd. So the conference starts next week. So jump on it. And um, Shannon and Jessica are going to share some photos and other resources that I can have in our show notes. Um, and I'm also just found out, I think that the panel, the floral panel will be, uh, I'll be allowed to have access to the recording afterwards. So we'll we'll probably post that uh, in the future, you know, as a podcast episode. But, um, but it's being attending in, in sort of in real time is going to be really special, I think. I think that's right. Yeah. Anything else that you want to mention, Jessica or Shannon, that I didn't ask you? Um, and we could go on all morning, but uh, we, <laughs> we've we got to get this out so people can hear about it. Um, I just, I hope that all of your listeners will have the opportunity to join us for the conference. I think your panel, as well as everything else, will, it will really, um, 
you know, be a mind-blowing, very multifaceted uh, educational experience for everyone. And we've been working on it um, really since last year's conference closed in early December. So we're, we're just thrilled about the lineup um, and really humbled by all the incredible speakers who have signed on. Um, and we encourage people to head over to stonebarncenter.org slash YFCC. That's for Young Farmers and Cooks Conference. Uh, stonebarncenter.org slash YFCC. Um, and all the information on registering and the agenda um, are available there. Oh, that's awesome. That's really great. Well, it's going to be fun. Well, I'll see you there. And I thank you so much for introducing this community to to what's happening at Stone Barn Center and the, you know, the important work that you're doing to advocate and promote a new model. And I, I think the term you used, Jessica, was something about food advocacy. No, there was a term you used that I really liked. Um, food change advocacy, was that it? Um, we talk about food system change makers a lot. Yeah. And really, everyone, everyone along the food chain, and everyone who eats. So, really, everyone. <laughs> okay, we're all food system change makers, and yeah. I want to be a flower system change maker too. So, I think we're going to just oh, integrate that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you both so much. This has been delightful, and um, I'm just, uh, you know, that next best best thing to being in the room with you. It's just wonderful to talk right now, and uh, we'll see you at the conference. Fantastic. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Deborah. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you're inspired to register and join the Young Farmers and Cooks Conference taking place next week, December 8th through 10th. You can attend the entire conference for just $25, and you'll be wowed by the program offerings and speakers. You may have heard Jessica mention that the conference is being built around an anti-racist frame, and we fully support these values. When Shannon and her colleagues first approached me to curate a Slow Flowers panel, they explained that the sessions are designed in a way that will honor the contributions of Black, Indigenous, and other communities of color throughout history who have shaped the agricultural and culinary topics that the program addresses. Programs within the Young Farmers and Cooks Conference are designed to acknowledge the historical and cultural significance of the topics, to acknowledge and serve the diverse international audience that will participate, and to give space for voices and perspectives that have often been overlooked or underrepresented, especially in the realm of sustainable agriculture. Additionally, no panel will feature only white or only male presenters. And speaking of panels, in addition to our panel on the regional flower economy, here's who and what I'm excited to learn from. There's a panel called Beauty in Food, incorporating edible flowers in the kitchen, which will include um, all, a lot of the chefs who are on site at Blue Hill Restaurant. The panel will feature demonstrations and encouragement on incorporating the beauty of flowers into dishes, beverages, and cakes uh, presented by growers and artists and makers as they share tips, variety suggestions, and artistic techniques. There's another panel called Bones, Pigments, Paper, and Process, which introduces three artists applying ecological consciousness to their work and craft. They will take us through their process of land acknowledgement and working with land-based materials, as well as the steps that transform those materials into cultural objects. And another panel is called Natural Dyes for Farmers and Cooks. 
and it asks, how can natural dyes both connect us to our complicated histories and serve as a teaching tool? From the blemish of African enslavement to grow both cotton and indigo in the U.S. to modern textile practices that demand speed and slave wages, we have never gotten textiles right for people and planet. So what are we going to do about it? And what are the most logical, equitable, and environmental next steps? That discussion will include four leading voices in the natural dye world. And then a panel called Seed Companies, COVID-19, and Our Fragile Food Shed. Seeds are a critical first note in every food supply chain, so the people who run seed companies have a unique vantage point when major disruptions occur. The COVID-19 shutdowns led to the same sort of panic buying of seeds as happened in supermarkets with food. This huge increase in demand forced some seed companies to temporarily shut down or curtail operations as seed stocks diminished and experienced workers became harder to muster. Now seed inventories are depleted, demand is higher than ever, and companies are struggling to maintain the diversity and quality of seeds that their customers expect. At the same time, most companies sold much more seed in 2020 than anticipated, leading to unexpected financial windfalls that allow for expansion, growth, and special projects. This panel features seed luminaries from a range of different companies, each offering their particular perspective and plans for moving forward into an uncertain future. I hope you're as inspired as I am. What a great opportunity to expand our understanding of sustainable agriculture at the intersection of art and design. I hope I see you there. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at longfield-gardens.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 664,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor thanks goes to Rooted Farmers. Rooted Farmers works exclusively with local growers to put the highest quality specialty cut flowers in floral customers' hands. When you partner with Rooted Farmers, you're investing in your community and you can expect a commitment to excellence in return. Learn more at rootedfarmers.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Mm-hmm.